When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How lucky have we been as college football fans? Hello, everybody. Wendy Nix, Joey Galloway, and Greg McElroy. And we're happy to have you with us as we begin the countdown for another national championship. There are just two teams still standing, and we start this afternoon with what it would mean for both Georgia and TCU. Here's where we are. TCU became the first Big 12 team to reach the title game in the college football playoff era. The conference looking for its first national championship since 05. That's when Texas beat USC. It will be the fifth series meeting between TCU and Georgia, the first since 2016, the Liberty Bowl. Georgia, a perfect 4-0 against the Horned Frogs, having outscored them 143-62. to And of course, Georgia is looking to be the first repeat champion since Alabama did it. That was 2011 and 2012. The Bulldogs have won 16 straight games, one shy of matching the longest win streak in program history. There is a reason the last time we've seen repeat champions was 2011 and 12, Greg, and that's because it is exceptionally difficult to do. What are the particular challenges Georgia will face? Well, it's amazing what they've been able to accomplish already up to this point. I mean, to replace what was an all-time great roster in 2021, let's just think about what it was that they had to replace. Five defensive players selected in the first round. 15 total selections. It's the third most of any school in draft history and the most in the seven-round era. And then you think about the fact that 15 selections are also the most by a reigning national champion in a common draft era. And then they come back this year, and in many ways, they're even vastly superior. I think offensively, they're able to score with anybody. I think defensively, they're probably not quite as good as they were a year ago. There are some question marks in the secondary There are some question marks as far as being able to create a consistent pass rush. But, Joey, when you look at this Georgia team, 
I think that they can beat you in a shootout and they can beat you in a dogfight that's 10 to 6. That's the difference between this year's team and last year's team because I'm not sure last year's team would have been able to win the way they won the other night against Ohio State. Yeah, I don't know that last year's team would have wanted to win the way they won against Ohio State, giving up that many points. Uh, but a, a lot of teams would love to have the pressure that Georgia has right now coming off of a national championship win last season. It felt like they got over the hump and, and they accomplished something that they had been really close to getting to for a very long time, finally get over the hump, finally win the SEC, finally come in uh, and, and, win, and win a championship. And now this team has to come back around. And, Greg, you mentioned it. They lost a ton of talent. And I don't know that anybody thought with the amount of draft picks that that team lost if this team could get back to the place where they are now and then through the season, we've seen them just play at this very high level at times and look like the best team in the country. And now we're here in a situation where Georgia can repeat, which we haven't seen since the playoffs have begun. So they have a chance to separate themselves uh, from what everyone else has been able to do since the playoff era has begun. Uh, and, and those teams have been, you know, we looked at Alabama, we looked at Clemson uh, as, as teams like Ohio State who've done some things that have been there every single year. Now Georgia has a chance to take one more step, which no one else has been able to do. But like I said, that is a great pressure to have coming off of a national championship looking for your second. That's a problem you'll take. Every day. Greg, I don't want to make too much of the intangibles because this is such an incredibly talented roster. But any concern about the adrenaline rush that it took to beat Ohio State, sort of that incredible high in maintaining that as you go ahead and have to play another game? Well, I mean, I think if they're dealing with it, TCU's probably dealing with it too. Because, I mean, both these two Fair games point. were absurd. I mean, 60-minute ball games that came down to the wire. And if we really think about it too, let's just think about quickly – if there is attrition or if there are guys that maybe are a little bit winded, let's think about the depth of the respective roster. You have 64 four- and five-star recruits for Georgia. You have 22 for TCU. That's the third most for Georgia in all of college football. TCU's tied for 28. So if for whatever reason guys are a little bit exhausted or maybe it takes them a little bit longer to recover, don't worry. Georgia's got plenty of depth and plenty of talent in the arsenal to be able to replace guys if for whatever reason fatigue is an issue. But, Joey, I don't anticipate that being a problem. They get additional days rest, knowing that there's nine days in between these two games as opposed to the normal seven. So I think both TCU and Georgia will be prepared to put their best foot forward on Monday for the championship because, hey, it's the last game of the year. You can't hold anything back. And I agree. Both teams had to deal with the same thing uh, in playing a, a tough game. I think the, the difference, the, if, if you're looking for one, is TCU gets to play the underdog card once again. They were underdogs to Michigan, uh, came with that chip on their shoulder. We're going to prove to the world that we can be physical with a team like Michigan where everyone assumed that Michigan was going to be the more physical team. And so now we go in. Georgia was supposed to win uh, you know, their, their game against Ohio State, and it ended up being closer. But TCU, once again, can play the card of the underdog to motivate that team to just get up and, once again, prove to the world that they deserve to be national champions. Yeah, no question. And I think they've thrived to the lack of expectations from the start of the season. But there's a reason for that. Let's not forget where they've come from. A season after finishing five and seven 
TCU unbelievably in search of its first title since 1938. The Horn Frogs would be the fifth team in the AP poll era to win a national title this season after having a losing record. They would be the first Michigan's, uh, since Michigan State in 1965. And, Joey, I think that played into this. Although they obviously started the season strong, one game after game, we kept waiting for that other shoe to drop, right? It wasn't always spectacular. Sometimes they won close games. Sometimes they had to come from behind. But they continued to win, and now here they are. What do you think a win would mean for this TCU program? I, I can't really uh, put it into words what it would mean for TCU, especially coming from where they came from, which you mentioned. Uh, but they weren't on anybody's radar uh, when this Thing began. I mean, teams like Nebraska, Auburn, South Carolina all had better odds to make it to the, the to the playoff. And here comes TCU, and it probably took them eight or nine games wins uh, before they started to get some respect. Uh, along the way, people kept thinking, nah, TCU's looking good. They keep coming back from behind. But eventually, that's not going to work for them. And it just kept going and kept going. And finally, this team is getting the respect it deserved all season long, and now they're playing for a national championship, which I, I don't even know. Look, every team starts off their season with goals, winning your conference, winning a national championship. Everyone has those same goals. I don't know how many teams truly believe that they can do it, and I know nobody in the country thought TCU could do it except inside that locker room, and now they're here. Uh, if they can pull this off, this may maybe one of the greatest stories in college football history. Well, I think, too, they're a little bit of a uh, – they're a product of their own environment, too, right? You have elite quarterback play. You always have a chance. If you can create big plays, it doesn't matter the quality of the defense that you're playing against. If you can create big plays, you're going to put a ton of strain on them, and that's exactly what this team is. You look at Max Duggan, 14 completions of 50-plus yards this season. That's the most in the FBS. You look at how they complement that passing attack with a quality rushing attack as well. You look at these running backs sitting there thinking, oh, man, well, they lose Kendry Miller early in the game. Who's going to step into his place? Well, in comes Amari DiMarcato, a guy that can flat out get it. Uh, maybe not quite the same runner, maybe not quite as patient as you might get from Kendry Miller, but a guy that will hit it the hole as hard as humanly possible to complement that passing attack, and you got great weapons on the outside. So I think TCU – Look, they're, they're an underdog. There's no denying that they're an underdog, but they're the type of program that embraces the underdog mentality. They love the idea that nobody's giving them a chance, that nobody thinks they can do it, that nobody believes that they can stand up, bow up, and stop the run. So they have honestly, they've leaned into who they are. They've been leaned into who they've been. And as a result, they didn't change a lick playing against Michigan. They just did what they do, and they got a great result as a result. They did. They did what they do, and that has been effective all season. And to your point, Greg, I can imagine they want nothing more than to be the underdog because it's worked. The last thing they want to see right now is that be changed. Of course, it's not. They will not be the favorite as we head into Monday's national championship game. What a weekend of football we had, by the way. Ahead, talk about a flair for the dramatic. That was Tulane in a nutshell as they rode that green wave all the way to come back against USC.
Football fans across the country remain stunned and concerned this afternoon after Bill's safety and former Pitt Panther DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field during last night's Monday night football matchup in Cincinnati against the Bengals. Hamlin remains in critical condition at an area hospital. Here's a timeline. The injury occurred around 8.55 p.m. Eastern after Hamlin made a tackle on T. Higgins. Roughly 20 minutes later, the game was temporarily suspended. And then nearly 10 minutes after that, the ambulance with Hamlin left the stadium. And shortly after 10 p.m. Eastern, the game was officially postponed. Our reporter, Coley Harvey, joins us now from outside the hospital in Cincinnati. And, of course, Coley, first of all, our thoughts and prayers are with the Hamlin family. And we'll ask you to start with any additional information on his status. Wendy, uh, what I can really tell you right now is that last night when DeMar Hamlin was transported here to University of Cincinnati Medical Center, he was taken into the ICU, and according to a statement from the Buffalo Bills earlier this afternoon, he remains in the ICU and also, as you just mentioned, in critical condition. Uh, His status is something that we are going to continue to monitor throughout the evening, throughout even tomorrow. Hopefully we will continue to to start, that we'll start to hear some, some more positive news, some progress on that front. But as it remains, the news is still the same as it's been uh, for the last roughly 18 hours or so. And, Cully, we've seen uh, all kinds of reaction. And, you know, really in this case, not only from fans of football as a game, but from just about everybody in the country hoping and praying that this takes a turn in the right direction. What's the scene like there, uh, not only in Cincinnati, but specifically at the hospital? Yeah, specifically here at the hospital, which, you know, we're about a 10-minute drive from Paycor Stadium, so it was a fairly quick transport to get him here last night. And I've been here since last night. I can tell you that uh, at times we saw a couple of dozen fans who gathered and held their own makeshift uh, candlelight vigil as they tried to lift up DeMar Hamlin, uh, you know, just about a block away from where I'm standing right here. And, uh, and, and that, that memorial scene, that tribute scene, has begun to grow uh, this afternoon. Early this morning, there was not much to see around here because it was pouring rain here in Cincinnati. But for the last several hours, it's been dry. Uh, temperatures are fairly comfortable. So we're starting to see more fans congregate, not just Bengals fans, not just Bills fans, but even fans of other teams who are showing up just to lay down flowers, to put up a poster board, to bring a balloon. There's a balloon with Hamlin's number three uh, that is uh, attached to a a fence right now. Uh, What I've been told from some fans is that at 8.55 p.m. Eastern, as you just mentioned, that was around the time when DeMar Hamlin went down on the field. At that time tonight, fans are going to be congregating here at the hospital to hold another candlelight vigil as they continue to try to lift him up uh, at this moment in time. Coley, thank you. And again, uh, our continued hopes uh, for good news very soon. As I mentioned before, Hamlin played his collegiate ball at Pitt. And here now from his head coach in college, a statement, DeMar Hamlin is far more than just a football player. He's a loving son, brother, and friend. DeMar is a hero to thousands of Pittsburgh kids. DeMar, we love you. We are praying for you. Pittsburgh always had your back. And now it's obvious the entire country has your back, too. Still to come on College Football Live, a look at what might have been for Michigan and Ohio State after coming up just short over the weekend. We dissect these disappointing losses straight ahead.
This year's Fiesta Bowl was one for the ages. The teams combined for 96 points. That's the most in Fiesta Bowl history. 44 of the 96 came in the third quarter, which was the most in any quarter in college football playoff history. The teams combined for the third most yards in the history of the Fiesta Bowl. It was, no doubt, a 51-45 thriller, but when the dust settled, it was TCU who held on to defeat Michigan and move on to the national championship for the first time. Heisman runner-up Max Duggan threw for 225 yards and four total touchdowns. That leaves us... Uh, again, I mentioned as we started the show with two teams left standing, so two teams go home, Joey, one of which is Michigan. Uh, through what prism should we now view Michigan's season? That was an outstanding season. I think it, at the beginning of this season, if you offered the Michigan fans you would be in the, in the playoff, you would win the Big Ten, they would be extremely excited. Uh, like Greg talked about Georgia uh, Michigan lost a, a, a lot of talent also, uh, including Aiden Hutchinson, the top five NFL draft pick uh, that was uh, instrumental to what they were able to do last season. And so last season, it felt like Michigan finally got over the hump of beating Ohio State. Uh, and then they get into the playoff and they lose. Well, this season, nobody expected them to do it again, come to Columbus and beat Ohio State and then win the Big Ten, get into the playoff, and really look like a team that belonged there, a team that believed they would get there. And so if I'm a Michigan fan or if I'm anyone looking at college football, I would think this is another outstanding season by Coach Harbaugh and what his team was able to accomplish. Yeah, it was a terrific year. And I think one thing that's getting lost in all this this year's Michigan team was far better positioned to be successful in the playoff than last year's Michigan team. Now, they played poorly on defense. There's no denying that. They had some massive mistakes in the semifinal game, including two trips inside the three-yard line. Here's the opener. You're the most powerful offensive line in America, arguably, and you decide to go with a trick play. It's time to retire Philly special, I might add. And then you try to go with a difficult handoff here to the fullback at the two-yard line that you fumble after a touchdown was taken off the board. So Michigan can look back and say they were better this year than they were last year, especially if they needed to win a game in a shootout-style environment, which is exactly what that game become. But they can look back very clearly at four significant mistakes that ultimately led to TCU winning it. Two trips inside the three that resulted in zero points and two pick sixes, one of which was a tremendous defensive play, the other pretty good defensive play that ultimately led to 14 points for the Horn Frogs. So Michigan kind of dropped the ball for sure, but you got to give credit to TCU and you got to give credit to Michigan for a great season up to that point. What's interesting, Greg, is I don't know if those miscues make it more difficult or easier to swallow for Michigan, probably neither of the two. Uh, but to your point, they were in position to win this game and certainly an outstanding season for Michigan. Also one of the most captivating college football playoff games in history. We'd got not one but two. Georgia rallied from a 14-point deficit to beat the Buckeyes 42-41 after Noah Ruggles' 50-yard field goal attempt was wide left. I'll ask you the same question because I think we've gotten into this idea somehow that it's championship or bust, especially in places like Columbus, Greg. But what, when all is said and done, what do, you, what do you say about Ohio State's season? Well, it's similar to Michigan's. Like, we don't need to live in a world of absolutes, man. They got to the playoff. They're one of only four teams that got to the playoff. They lost two games. They lost one game in particular, which they lost barely 
and had the lead for 59 minutes in the game, it felt like. So I think Ohio State should be remarkably proud of what it was that they accomplished. Now, ultimately, you're always looking to ways to get better. I mean, did they drop the ball, I think, in a two-minute situation when they got to the 30-yard line? Yes. Did they make mistakes along the way? For sure. Was it disappointing to see their performance against Michigan in the final game of the regular season? Absolutely. So, yes, they fell short of expectations, but, Joey, to define their season as a disappointment or to say that they, quote, choked, that's going way too far in my eyes when looking at just how far they got and how many teams would have given their right arm to be in that position. Yeah, I agree, Greg. And especially going into the Georgia game and and the way Ohio State got into the playoff, I think if you had offered any Ohio State fan uh, a chance to win the football game with a field goal to end it at the beginning, everyone would have accepted those odds in that scenario Uh, Because, again, Georgia was the number one team in the country uh, for most of the season. Everyone assumed that Georgia would beat Ohio State because of the way Ohio State got in. And so they play a terrific game, probably a better game than they played all season long, especially coming off of the game they played against Michigan. I don't know that anybody thought that they would lead most of the game and have a chance to win it in the end. And so when you look at the final result, That is a terrific season and a terrific end in the way they played that game, playing their best game of the season. Because, honestly, that's all you can ask, to go out there, play your best game, and then see what happened and let the results take care of themselves. And Ohio State did that. They played their best game. Unfortunately for Ohio State, they came up a little short. But, again, a very successful season, making it into the playoff. Isn't that so true, Joey? You know, it's so easy to forget that they had to have a little extra luck to be in that game. And I I do believe you're right. Every single fan with the opportunity to play would have said, yeah, we're in, uh, regardless of what happens at the end of the semifinal game. Uh, We turn our attention now to other Big Ten news. And with that, we'll say hello to college football insider Pete Thamel, uh, this time regarding the commissioner, Pete. Yeah, Wendy, so we reported last week that Kevin Warren is among the finalists for the Chicago Bears president's job, and it, it's safe to say that, that he's probably the favorite at this point to get that job. It is, it is not done yet, but we're expected to get some clarity and probably some closure on that in the next two or three weeks. Um, Kevin Warren's candidacy for the Bears job lines up in a lot of ways. He helped build the stadium as the COO of the Vikings, the U.S. Bank Stadium in downtown Minneapolis. The Bears have agreed to buy some land in Arlington Heights, and they're in the business of building a new stadium. As for Kevin Warren in the Big Ten, it'd be interesting if he does not get the job going forward. Uh, Talked to a number of sources today who told me there's been no sense in the Big Ten of, like, let's rally to keep Kevin Warren. There's been no push or nor movement. There's been mutual frustrations on both sides. I think Kevin Warren got to college sports and realized that his job, though powerful, was very clunky, and he had to rely on presidents and chancellors who are intermittently engaged, and a vast majority of the presidents and chancellors he entered the Big Ten with have left. There is a leadership vacuum in the Big Ten right now. There is no alpha president, if you will. There's no strong leadership at that presidential level. And that's left a lot of power to the athletic directors, a place where Kevin Warren hasn't been particularly popular during his tenure. So right now, moving forward, I think there's a sense of wait and see, as there was a surprise that the news broke that Kevin Warren was this far down the road with a job outside of the Big Ten. That's always the tricky proposition, right, Pete? Sometimes the hay's out of the barn on this one. You better hope you go forward because it might be difficult uh, to go back or even stay in the same spot. Pete Thamel, thank you. Uh, It will be a busy week for you, no doubt.
Uh, listen, we've talked a little bit about the college football semifinal games, but there was other great football. How about number 10 Tulane facing Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams and number 6 UFC, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic early in the fourth quarter, second and goal. Williams connects with Kyron Hudson for the touchdown, and UFC now extends their lead 42-30. to 30. Under three and a half minutes to go, USC up 45-37. Williams hands it off to Austin Jones, and there he goes. Tulane fighting back, 45-39, and Williams can't believe it. 34 seconds to play. Michael Pratt escapes the pressure, finds Alex Bowman, a 24-yard pickup, and Tulane keeps this drive alive. Everybody thinking, you got to be kidding me. Really? 22 seconds to go now. Second and 10, Pratt to Deuce Watts. Another pickup with 24, and at one point it looks like they won't be stopped. Willie Fritz telling them to spike that ball. Two plays later, second and goal from the six. Pratt connects with Bowman in the end zone. The ruling on the field is incomplete, but take another look. After the review, it looks like the ball never touched the ground. Touchdown to Lane, and they tie the game at 45. How about this? The extra point to take the lead. Tulane comes from behind to win 46-45 in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Williams, 37-52, 462 yards and five touchdowns. Tulane recorded its first bowl win in a current New Year's Six game since winning the 1935 Sugar Bowl. 12 wins this season for the Green Wave ties a program record one season removed from going 2-10 a season ago. The nine-game turnaround, the best in FBS history. Green Wave captain Sincere Hainsworth joins us now. And, you know, Sincere, I can only imagine how great this would feel. But when you think back to just a season ago and how far this team has come, what, what's this ride been like? It's been surreal, you know, uh, just the work we've put in and all the everything we've gone through together as a team. It, it feels amazing to be able to come this far and you know, come out on top as not only American champions, but Cotton Bowl champions as well. When you get the chance to go up against the Heisman Trophy winner and the big bad USC Trojans, we're always wondering what's it like to be that underdog, that David versus Goliath, and yet you guys tackled Goliath, man. So what was that moment like as you guys were preparing and ultimately getting the job done in the waning moments? You know, we... There's been a lot of times that we've been considered the underdogs going into a game, and you know it's it's always a tough feeling to to know that you're going against such a great opponent and to have such a big challenge in front of you. But it's it's honestly motivating, and you know it makes you want to work that much harder when you see such a great opportunity in front of you, and just the opportunity to execute and come out on top is it's amazing and. It's a heck of an opportunity. I'm glad I'm glad we were able to do what we needed to do. Sincere, making this even better, I would think, at least would be for me, is that it, it's such a notable moment. And, and, you know, we're all on holiday. The whole country's watching. How many people have you heard from? Uh, and what can you share about what the celebration's been like? <laughs> My phone hasn't stopped buzzing yet. It's uh, <laughs> It's been going on for since last night, since the end of the game. And I'm just so appreciative of all the support and, you know, everyone who watched. And uh, before the game, actually, we got to go to the Mavericks game. And at concessions, I, I ran into this this uh, these guys from Australia, actually, who said they had flew in. And, you know, they heard about the Cotton Bowl. And 
or getting the opportunity to go see and said that it was something that they couldn't miss while they were here. So just having that on my mind before the game, it was just an example of how much, how much reach this game had and how important it truly was. Did you ask any of those Australians if they could punt? You know, I mean, hey, all those guys coming up here, they're pretty good punters. I don't know, it'd be worth asking. Uh, since here, finally, man, you, you think about where you guys were last year to where you guys were this year, the challenges you guys had to endure, just two wins, to flip it all the way around to finish the season with 12 wins. You could write a book on the turnaround. What If you had to write that book, what would you put in it to help us understand what it took to be able to turn this thing into where you guys are now Cotton Bowl champs? I think I would just put there. One moment that I would put for sure was coming back from, you know, after, after bowl season, we unfortunately didn't make a bowl. We had a long vacation last year. And, you know, that first day back, uh, we had a team meeting and we all sat down as a team and we decided that this was how we wanted our season to turn out. We started with, we were going to host the American championship game in Yeoman, and that was our initial goal. And we knew if we did that, then, you know, we'd get a chance at one of these New Year's Six Bowls. And that's definitely a, a pinpoint situation that I would put in that book and just the strain on the important, importance of togetherness and, you know, loving your brothers, your teammates, and, you know, sticking together and trusting the process. Well, Sincere, uh, congratulations are certainly in order, but also a thank you, I think, because as fans of college football, which we all are, it was so much fun to watch. So thank you uh, for a great performance and a great season. We can't wait to see what's in store next year. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. A different story altogether, of course, uh, for USC, because following the Cotton Bowl defeat, Lincoln Riley has lost six games when holding a lead of at least 14 points since becoming a head coach in 2017. That's the most in the FBS in that span. Having said that, Joey, we don't want to make too much of this. They, too, had a pretty productive season. But uh, where do you go from here if you're USC? I think you just continue the process. They, they had a terrific season. Nobody expected USC to be where they were. Uh, coming in, first-year head coach, a lot of transfers coming in. I covered them in the spring, and they didn't have a full roster of scholarship players. They, they were still looking to fill out that roster going into the season. And so they go into the season, and they come within a couple minutes of making it into the playoffs. So you'd imagine uh, how difficult emotionally it was for USC to then get back up and get ready for this bowl game when they're coming against a team like Tulane, which had a terrific season and what they were able to accomplish. A lot of people thought that USC would struggle in this game just because of the emotional roller coaster of trying to get back up for this game. When you literally are thinking we were within inches and, and minutes of getting into the playoff. So it's a tough situation. They played their hearts out and unfortunately they came up short. I do think if there's one thing they want to learn, though, is that in consecutive games, they give up big leads. Now, granted, it's easy to point to the Utah game. You say, hey, well, you know, Caleb Williams at less than 100%. Clearly, that had a huge impact on what they could be offensively. And then you obviously look to this game, just unable to finish. And it was just crazy because it was generally the stars had to align for Tulane to win this football game. I mean, what are the odds of muffing a kickoff, getting it at the one-yard line, having a safety, and then giving them an opportunity to go down when your defense is gassed to ultimately win the game. I mean, it's a challenge to be able to write that <laughs> script. So 
Uh, I think that if there's one thing you want to focus on is, hey, how can we finish a little bit better in 2023? But ultimately, it's a four and eight football team that got to this close to winning the Cotton Bowl. It's a pretty great first year for Lincoln Riley and his staff. No question. Again, I think we have to let go of that championship or bust mentality. It was a very, very solid start. We take a look now at our Progressive Bowl Challenge Cup. You know, we keep track of these things. The MAC went 4-2 and two in bowl games to lead the Bowl Challenge Cup. The SEC can jump up to a second with a win in the big one, the National Championship game. The American ACC and Big Ten all finished above 500 this bowl season. Less than one week to go until Georgia and TCU square off with a national championship on the line. A first for the Horn, Horn Frogs. The Bulldogs trying to repeat reports from both teams on deck. Georgia, the sixth team in the playoff era to make the playoff the year after winning the national title. In the previous five instances, the teams were unable to defend the title, four of the five, specifically in the national title game. And as we mentioned earlier, the last team to repeat Alabama back in 2011 and 2012. Uh, Mark Schleyball is in Athens covering the Bulldogs. And Mark will start, uh, obviously, Georgia successful, but gave up nearly 400 pass yards against Ohio State in the semifinal. What are the Bulldogs saying about getting that buttoned up? Wendy, few, te few teams take more pride in playing good defense than Georgia, and few coaches demand it more than Kirby Smart. Even after losing 15 starters to the NFL draft from last year's historically good defense, the Bulldogs have been great for much of this season, but they haven't been very good in the last two games, they gave up a ton of passing yards in the second half to LSU in the SEC championship game, and then gave up 438 more to C.J. Stroud and Ohio State. They had four sacks in that game, but had a chance for several more and just couldn't corral Stroud to the ground. Uh, I think the, the motive in uh, the TCU game is to get Max Duggan to the ground, get pressure on him. They're going to face another really good receiver in Quentin Johnson. Yeah, no question. And I would say this on paper anyway, Mark, at least at a first glance, it doesn't seem like these two teams are a whole lot alike. But there there are some similarities. What are they? Yeah, roster composition, not much of a of a comparison there. A bunch of five stars and four stars for Georgia, a bunch of lone star players for TCU. But Kirby Smart says if you look at this TCU team, those kids believe they can win. And that's what impresses him most. He said the biggest evidence you need is to see that TCU has more comebacks than any other team in the Power Five and FBS this year. He said you look at the quarterbacks, you're not going to confuse them, you're not going to out-scheme them, you're going to have to out-execute them because there isn't much that Duggan and Stetson Bennett haven't seen. Also, uh, obviously, every season is one of attrition, certainly in college football, and there's been some talk about Georgia going into this game pretty banged up. Any updates on the injury front? Yeah, Kirby Smart gave a brief update today, said he expects or hopes to have tied in Darnell Washington, who 
injured his ankle early in the second quarter against Ohio State. Offensive lineman Warren McClendon didn't play at all against the Buckeyes. They're hoping to have him back. And outside linebacker Chaz Chambliss had an hyperextended knee. He missed a lot of the second half of the Ohio State game. He's filling in for Nolan Smith, who's out for the year. So they hope to have him back as well. All right, Mark, thank you. Meanwhile, we'll transition uh, to the Horned Frogs. Gene Wojciechowski is covering TCU, and we'll pick up where we left off there, Gene, with the, the injury updates. Running back uh, Kendry Miller obviously injured his knee in that Fiesta Bowl. He's an important part, an important cog in this wheel, if you will. Uh, what's an update there? Well, of course, Kendry Miller is the leading rusher on this team, first team all Big 12 uh, an important part, as you just mentioned, uh, he did injure that knee. They're hopeful it's not serious. Sonny Dykes earlier today said that if he had to put a designation on it right now, he'd say he's questionable. But, of course, they do have the benefit of some time before that Monday night game. If he can't start or if he can't play, if he's limited, well, then, of course, they can go to Imara DiMarcato, who had a huge game against Michigan, 150 yards, one touchdown, and he was he's raised right in the shadow of SoFi Stadium, about a five-minute drive from his family house in Inglewood. It's interesting. Next man up has really been the calling card of this TCU team since the outset. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned they do have some time, but the game now less than a week away considering it's next Monday night. How has TCU transitioned into the preparations for Georgia? Well, you know, Max Duggan today, the quarterback for TCU, said he celebrated for about 24 hours and got right back to work. Tonight, they're going to have a walkthrough in their indoor facility, and that's when Sonny Dykes said they'll start putting, you know, installing that game plan for Georgia. Uh, Sonny Dykes was actually pretty funny about things today. Someone asked him, you know, who have you heard from this week that you really didn't expect to? And he said Marshawn Lynch. Remember, Dykes used to be the head coach at Cal. Marshawn Lynch played at Cal. And he said, well, uh, you know, Lynch congratulated him. And Sonny said, well, I invited him to go to the game. And Lynch said he turned me down, turned me down right away, said I'm going to Italy instead. Sonny said, well, I guess I really can't blame him for that one. No, and you can't make this stuff up. And if you don't know Sonny Dykes, Dina, and I know you do, uh, perhaps no team embodies the personality of their coach than does this one. It's really been an interesting and obviously very successful pairing. Uh, we appreciate the report. We'll be back with you, of course, this week. Uh, if you don't know, and, and that means you've probably been under some kind of rock, uh, Monday, number one Georgia takes on number three TCU. It is the college football playoff national championship presented by AT&T. Our coverage begins at 730 Eastern 4.30 Pacific, but that's really not true because we'll pretty much be going 24 hours a day, every platform, TV, radio, and digital, so many ways you can watch and listen to the biggest college football game of the year. Meanwhile, some notable names are bidding adieu to college football for life at the next level, where these college stars will net out in the draft, as anyone's guess, we'll talk top picks coming up. It'll be here before you know it. Here's headed where. Uh, here's who's headed where. Clemson defensive tackle Brian Brzee is headed for the draft. The 12th-ranked prospect on Mel Kuyper Jr.'s big board, three-and-a-half sacks and 22 pressures 
this season. Kansas State running back Deuce Vaughn also declared for the draft. He rushed for 133 yards and a touchdown in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. He finished with the second most rush yards in K-State history. And then there's LSU wide receiver Kayshawn Booty, who changed his mind and declared for the draft. He had 538 yards and two receiving touchdowns this season. He's the fifth-ranked wide receiver, again, according to Mel Kuyper Jr. Despite the injury, Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker finished fifth in the Heisman voting. He had 27 pass touchdowns and just two interceptions this year, the fifth-ranked quarterback, according to Mel Kuyper. And then the trio here, Will Anderson, Jameer Gibbs, and Bryce Young, all declared for the draft. Anderson and Young, number two and four, respectively, for Mel Kuyper. Gibbs is the third-ranked running back. Here's a look at the favorites to go number one overall in the NFL draft before and after the college football playoff semifinals. Bryce Young remains the favorite over Ohio State's C.J. Stroud. However, Stroud closed the gap a bit following his performance in the Peach Bowl. Will Anderson Jr., Jalen Carter, and Will Levis round out the top five. ESPN draft analyst Matt Miller is with us now, and this is when your busy season heats up, Matt. But we'll just we'll jump right in. Who goes? Who goes at that number one overall pick? Yeah, Wendy, it's early, but I think the oddsmakers actually got this one right. I do think it will be Bryce Young. Now, some of that does depend on the draft order. Right now, the Houston Texans own that number one overall pick, but we'll all be watching to see what happens in week 18. Could the Chicago Bears potentially slide up to that number one overall spot with a loss? I think that that is kind of the story right now for those teams. If the Texans have the pick, Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this draft. He's a franchise caliber passer. He's poised. He's smart. And he's been productive this year at Alabama without elite weapons at wide receiver, which we haven't seen at Bama in quite some time, right? But I do think he is the type of player that the Houston Texans can build around, and then that sets the table great for the Chicago Bears to select Will Anderson Jr. or Jalen Carter from Georgia as the best defender on the board. You know, it's always a question we ask about who's helped and hurt their draft stock. I think this year in particular, because so many notable names just said, you know what, I'm not going to play in a bowl game or even in some cases a championship game, Matt. So uh, I'll ask it anyway, though, who, who has helped their draft status during this bowl season? Well, it's a great question, and you saw in the odds, C.J. Stroud has been rising there. He's been rising on NFL draft boards as well, and even in a loss, a close loss against Georgia, I think C.J. Stroud helped himself tremendously. He's my number two quarterback in this class, a top five player, and he proved that not only can he beat elite defenses with his arm, he threw for 348 yards and four touchdowns against Georgia's defense, but he also showed that he can win and move the pocket with his legs. That's something he's kind of been hesitant to do at Ohio State, but he rushed for 34 yards, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it came in crucial moments and he did show that he can evade the rush and create with his legs which is going to help his NFL stock it, it will and there's two sides to that coin though and this is why some guys don't play uh, although if you listen to Nick Saban he'd say always play always helps yourself to play football but who has you know I'm going to say this who hasn't helped their draft stock yeah, I think we could go to the, back to that same game, Ohio State against Georgia. If we look at the first half before Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt, cornerback Keeley Ringo was really struggling in man coverage, and that is something that I do believe has hurt his draft stock. Now, Keeley is going to blow it away at the NFL Combine if he declares for the draft this year. The height, weight, speed, numbers are all electric. But I think the film sometimes shows a player that struggles in man coverage. He struggles to move with smaller receivers, with some of the short area quickness that you need to have. The reactionary agility isn't always there. So while he looks the part certain, 
certainly, and he has it all from the highway speed metrics that we look for. I think the tape leaves him wanting. So if I had to move someone down off the bowl season, it would be Keely Ringo. All right, Matt, thank you. Hard to believe, but the NFL draft just 114 days away. It will be here before we can turn around. Uh, but first, we got to put a bow on this incredible college football season. What a year it has been. Our college football images of the year are up next. <laughs> 